we're going to start the panel now. Um, I will. Um, I would like to just say a huge thanks to Joe Ryan, our moderator, to Dervla Walsh, um, acclaimed director, to Madden Donano again. Um, it was fantastic in the presentation, and to Jenny Stacy from from Brown Bag, which is just a, just around the corner. Um, so the, the panel discussion is on the theme of innovations and um, afterwards there will be time for, for a Q&A. So if anyone has any questions during the, the discussion, maybe just jot them down for the end, but we will have time for them then after. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. That was a fantastic presentation, Madeline. It was just eye-opening. And it's something about, you know, the unconscious gender bias that we all kind of feel, but just to see it up there was wonderful because that's when you can move forward. And I'd like to ask, just start off the conversation by asking Dervla and Jenny, you know, what you thought of this presentation and, and were you blown away by it or what did you think or were you aware of it? Or I'll start with, say, asking Dervla. Okay. Um, good morning, everybody. Well done in getting into a room of red this early in the morning. Uh, what's the theory on the colour temperature red? It's happened in the cinema, so it kind of makes everything soothing and calming and makes you open and susceptible. That was the idea of the, the red velvet curtains in theatre, ah, so your eyes have warmed up the temperature and, and the old oh, cinemas. So you were staring at a red space for quite a while, and it kind of warms the retina so that when the curtains divide, you are um, open and susceptible to what you're about to hear and see. Wow. So Yay. in this... Hey, <laughs> Never knew that. So in this room of red, this womb of red, it feels like a very safe and uh, welcoming place. Um, so uh, I found it really interesting because, well, as you say, it's science, it's facts. And that is... Because the whole... Um, Gender debate, gender bias is you have to, I mean, I think you, you, you reference quite interestingly about it can't feel personal. I mean, because you're dealing with people who are multi-million you know, dollar movies and it is about, um, some, so much of this industry is about politics and the politics obvious politics but politics of people and you know and that's what what that's about and and the unconscious um the unconscious conscious prejudice we all have as men and as women uh, very much and uh i am kind of constantly learning and shocked at myself at my own you know unconscious um unconscious prejudice and uh and so when it is picked up or when I pick it up myself, or there's something in your gut saying there's something not quite right. So, I mean, the very obvious thing for, uh, for me is, you know, where I, my starting point is always reading the script, you know, or working with the writer. And, um, and you respond to a story. You're not responding to the science of, you know, sometimes I do respond to the science in terms of it's a, it's a, it's a visual effects explosive movie and that either interests me or interests me or, or doesn't. But... Um, but I think uh, when you talked about background actors, I suppose I've just finished a, a series that's for Amazon that's just um, that's just um, go going out in the UK and about to go out in the in the States. And uh, the you know the choices you make about characters and background, um, which is, are very subtle, do actually make a difference. So, for example, there's an after-show party, and the pianist was just the pianist, and the, the obvious choice was it was. Uh, 
uh, a, a man. And we changed that. Like the designer came to me and said, I have a friend who's a pianist. And it's 1947 Paris. It's the world of Dior. And we changed... Because you have to be historically correct as well. But we changed that to um, uh, a female character. She was um, kind of cross-dressed as a man. And it was right to um, it was right to the scene and kind of the people that were mixing in that um, era. Or on the streets of Paris, a lot of our approach in terms of the design was bringing a lot of the Robert Duano or um, the Bresson or life pictures to life because I was looking for a look of authenticity. So literally basing it on the fact of what was on the streets and bringing them to life. And again, you know, having um, increased female characters there. Then at a technical level, um, I had to recreate Paris 47 in Swansea which you won't know where Swansea is, but as you can see the audience. Swansea is like, with no offence to any Welsh people in the audience, but it's the armpit of Wales. And, uh, and it is a pretty bleak place. And um, when I took on the, um, the, the, the job, I thought we'd have much more in Paris. I got to shoot for two days in Paris. And uh, whatever, ten weeks in very wet, grim, grey Swansea. It makes Ireland look like Costa del Brava. I mean, I've never actually. So apart from the challenge of the weather and shooting Paris, there are no locations because the uh, Swansea was bombed during the, during the war. So there's only one, um, one uh, period building. Uh, also, we, um, the, the, the story is it's post-war Paris and loosely inspired by the story of the new look and the rebirth of Ocotour in post-war Paris. So the world of Dior, and but it's all coming at it through um, through family, and it's kind of, I suppose, the easiest way. It's kind of what Mad Men was to the advertising industry. It is, hopefully, it aspires to be, um, to um, the world of fashion. So our extras, like literally, the men look like they come down from the mountains, and but things like we had costumes, so we had to really. Uh, uh, cast people who were the size of the, you know, the costumes, etc. And um, but I there was pressure because all of these things are financial. Um, our financial choices about um, crewing as much as as possible from Wales, in the same way that we in Ireland have benefited hugely from American um, uh, shows coming in. And and I mean that's one of the ways I, I certainly got a break working on on Tudors. And uh, um, so I was quite surprised enough. Surprised, like say my sound, meeting HODs, say my sound team had no females on their on their team, um, or or the 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 the, um, the camera department. So things like that, where you can influence in a subtle way, you know, just comment and you know, actually, that's I would want you. Like, how come you have first of all no females on your on your team, and second of all, you should have, and um, uh, for just a reason of. You should be training men and and women. And um, I've worked with lots of um, uh, brilliant um, uh, boom operators. And also, then of course, because we're dealing with a show that is about women, um, well, men and women undressing, but obviously, you know, particular to the to the shows. So sensitivity with with artists as well. Um, again, looking at some key roles and ch- and asking that question all the time. If you change the name from male to female, what does that do? which is always fascinating. I can't tell you how many scripts that I get that I go, this is interesting, but it would be so much more interesting if the character was female because it throws up lots, much more interesting dilemmas. Like the, 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 um, you know, the, the, the world is way too um, familiar um, um, uh, the way it is at the moment. And I'm about to do um, a show for Netflix, a new show for Marvel. And um, 
I'm scared stiff and I may never work again at the end of it. Um, but it really is a very conscious decision to push myself out of my comfort zone. And it's the Punisher. And it's kind of one of the, the darkest characters. I mean, I would have been more fun to do, Jessica. Um, but I'm constantly, even as a female director, just fighting being pigeonholed and fighting being boxed as kind of the, the kind of the girly drama director. So I do very, very um, different work from drama to dance to... Um, um, kind of in the middle of editing a dance film at the moment for, for 2016 on Roger Casement. And I did um, Hosier's last video for Cher Cherry Wine about domestic abuse with Sir Sharona. So it's constantly, you know, kind of trying to um, push yourself in terms of your own work as well, make choices that aren't um, obvious and, uh, and predictable. But I'm really scared stiff, but looking forward to what the experience of working... Um, with Marvel will be like, and working in a world... They are male characters, and they're obviously female characters as well, but the main protagonist is. And see, and I said to the producer, you know, I think you're really picking the wrong director for this. Um, I don't think I'm the right person at all. And he says, no, no, you're exactly the right person. We're looking for drama, not action. And, and so um, it would be interesting, and also the, you know, the, the power as a director I'll have in terms of influencing what what that show will 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 feel like. So uh, so I suppose it's a very long answer to say the subtlety. She's given us the facts, but the subtlety, it is absolutely choices, and that is that is all our responsibilities, but certainly as a director, and as I say, and I exec produced the show for Amazon as well, um, the choices you make about equality, you know, and about um, inclusivity, and just asking the question, what would happen if, just changing the, the prism, and as I said, I'm very aware of constantly questioning myself um, um, about that as well, so to have those, um, to have this kind of, these as, as facts is, is very, is very interesting, and I'm definitely going to take a, a few of your, um, a few of your lines, um, to... Well, I happen to, I worked on the movies Punisher, um, when it was Artisan, before it was Lionsgate. And, you know, you take a character, um, and, and Melissa had a lot of that taking on Jessica Jones, and she actually had to introduce Luke Cage into Jessica Jones before the Luke Cage show was coming, and that wasn't going to be her show. And um, so there's a lot of consideration there. But but when you think about the Punisher, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Punisher, but... I think you have to be 12 years old and male, I'm finding so, so far. I've suddenly become the most popular aunt in Ireland. But, but you have to think about his motivation. He is driven by pain and loss and, and love of his wife and his children. So I, I think that's kind of the, the most sensitive kind of male there can be. And so I think there's a big opportunity with that origin story. Um, so I, I think it's it's great to have a female uh, leading that story because you look at the heart of the character, um, and that's what you want. You know, you want to see that a you know a man can love and show love and affection and all of that. So I, I think you know that even though the outcome is vigilant, you know, being a vigilante and etc., but it was driven by. Driven by loss and pain, right, exactly. and and this showrunner has set it in. As I say, com people returning from Iraq, and mm -hmm. the, you know the society keeping them on the on the periphery. But I, I think it's it's kind of one of the most overtly um, kind of macho. It seems on the outside shows, but it's exactly that. And I think that's why the producers exactly know what we want is 
this kind of... Um, they want the drama. Yeah, yeah, the they drama. want the, yeah. the real belly of it, yeah. of the, the belly of the story, you know. Mm. That's fascinating. Sorry, I didn't introduce Dervla properly. She's done some amazing work. Um, it's done, my first time watching was Little Dorrit, which I, I, I talked to you about. That opening scene just utterly drew me in and blew me away and... She's won an Emmy and BAFTA and an IFTA, and I apologise. I just didn't do the introduction very well. What's but the um, Amazon show that's coming It's out? called The Collection. It's by Oliver Goldstick, oh. who wrote Pretty Little Liars and, um, and um, Desperate Housewives. I mean, you, you, you um, yeah. may know him. Um, I mean, I don't want to hog, because I know Jenny, but I, 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 it would be interesting to come back to, yeah. you know, serialisation and actually... It's because ultimately, whatever technology, it's about the stories being told and who's writing the stories and yeah. who's telling the stories. And and no matter what we do, you know, yeah. Anyhow, yeah. sorry, Jenny. No, <laughs> and um, I'd like to ask if you can remember what the question was. I'd like to ask um, Jenny Stacy from Brown Bag um, Films, and they're just geniuses uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I we talked earlier on about the very first uh, "Give Up Your Else Sins," which yeah. still makes me hoot with laughter. It's just gorgeous. Um, and I'd like to ask you the same about... I, I heard you talking earlier that you do actually have a tracker. And, yeah. Um, yeah. You, I know you also have a presentation, so... Well, I, I think, you know, it's, to see the data up there on the screen is kind of shocking, but sort of invigorating, especially when you see the box office figures and you see people are going to see women in, in, in films and they're going to see female leads, they're going to see female characters female stories, directors and writers. So once you can put that data in front of people and say, as you were saying, it's a myth that women don't go to the cinema. It's a myth that women don't want to see women on screen. Um, all we have to do is change it. And the people in this room, by making very simple choices, can do so. So it's... And we actually, we've been in Brown Bag, um, myself and some of my colleagues on the kind of the directors and art directors and creators in the studio, we've been familiar with the Gina Davis Institute for, for years now and uh, the, the C. Jane animation that you did a few years ago, you should check it out if you haven't seen it it's just a very simple way of getting across some of the data that you've talked about today and it really sparked something in us um, and made us look at what we're doing because we make shows primarily for, for very young children um, we go right, and families you know, we make short films and TV series um, but we're most known really for our uh, preschool shows. So really, from the age of two to six, you know that incredibly important time in a, in a kid's life, where you want them to see characters that uh, that reflect themselves. They want you want to see themselves on screen. Um, and as you were saying, Joe, we have uh, you know, talking about kind of technology and how we can use it to sort of innovate in in um, unusual ways. Uh, we, in, in Brownbag, we use a tracker called Shotgun, which is our production tracker, and we make CG animation, so it's incredibly, you know, file-heavy and incredibly complicated and technical, um, and so all our files are tracked um, using this tracker. Every artist, that's their screen in the morning, you know, when they come in and so they track their work. Um, but one of my colleagues, Nikki Phelan, who's one of our directors, he directed Granny O'Grimm, actually, and directed a number of our series, he, after seeing C. Jane, kind of felt a bit smug. He was directing a series called Bing, which is a, it's for a BBC series for very little kids. It's our youngest show. And he was thinking, Bing is a, the lead character, is a, a male bunny, a little boy bunny. 
Um, but most of his friends are female. The kind of carer characters in, in the show are female. And he thought, yeah, it's pretty, pretty balanced. Um, and using Shotgun, he thought, well, actually, we have access to a lot of the data which you mightn't have easily in live action. We can look and see how many characters we have that are female, how many shots they appear in, how many lines of dialogue they have. And, and it, it's all there if you take the time to go through it. So he, as he said himself, went down a rabbit hole um, and came over to me when we were working late one evening and said, look what I found. I'm, I'm mortified. You know, I thought we... We, we had five shows in production at the time, and uh, the show that he had been working on with this lead, Bunny, uh, it was only 36% uh, female characters on screen. Um, and he thought, but that's straight down the middle. You know, it looks on paper as if you have 50-50% characters. And then he looked at another show of ours, The Octonauts, which is a mm -hmm. big BBC show, <laughs> or, and it's on a Disney in the States. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's an ensemble cast, mm -hmm. and two of the female characters, one's a mechanic, you know, they're real mm -hmm. go-getter roles. Um, but they don't leave the vehicles. They don't go, they, they're not the doers. Um, it wasn't intentional. It was originally, you know, that it was going to be three lead male characters. It wasn't going to be an ensemble show. 16% female presence in that one in terms of, like, screen time. And, um, and then one of our shows, which is probably our biggest show called Doc McStuffins, which is a, a big Disney show. Yeah. And, you know, talking about female representation and diversity on screen, that's one I could talk about maybe later. But uh, that is, you know, for kids' shows, they're very much branded, this is a girl show, this is a boy's show. A lot of that is driven because by, by toys and merchandising. So the less scrupulous broadcasters will look at a show and they won't be thinking, you know, who's my lead and they'll be thinking, what toy aisle does this go in? Yeah. And we all know what toy aisles, you know, it's girls and boys. Um, and Doc McStuffins is a girl show. Our lead is a girl. She's purple and pink and sparkly. Um, and that was the only one of our shows that was 50-50 between female and, and males, which was interesting given that it is seen as a girl show that will be for girls. And if boys watch, well, you know, that's nice, but really... Um, and it turns out it's actually the only one of our shows that in terms of audience figures, it's nearly even boys and girls watching it. And the bo boys adore Doc McStuffins just as much as the little girls. They're at that age before they start going, eh, girls, you know. And it's so important. That, that character, she's um, a doctor in her. She's a, a small child who uh, is a, a doctor for toys and stuffed animals and out of her playhouse. She's got a clinic in the back garden. And her mom is uh, a doctor. Her dad's a, a homemaker. She's a little brother. And it's been kind of... It, it just woke something in, in people. She's also an African-American character. Um, and that in itself, which shouldn't be revolutionary, has been um, because there were no black dolls. For, for girls, um, and there certainly were no little girls being doctors on screen, and it had an impact that was immediate. We started seeing it on social media as soon as it was on screen, people wanting to talk to us about it in the States, um, and a, uh, an amazing doctor um, in the States called Dr. Maisha Taylor, she said seeing it was really impactful for her. She had had no role models as a child. She'd always wanted to be a doctor. And here, finally, was a, a, a black girl, an African-American girl, being a doctor. And 
she got in touch with other female physicians in the States. They've, they then, off the back of this show, which is amazing, I mean, it really is Saturday morning cartoons, uh, formed the Artemis Medical Society for African-American female physicians in the States. It's now around 3,500, or there were last time I looked. Um, Doc McStuffins has gone to the White House. Michelle Obama has, you know, <laughs> voiced in a voice. Um, and it has just you know, been incredible in terms of having representation for small, you know, African-American children to look at. And even simple things like look at, she has hair like mine, you know. I don't have straight blonde hair, you know. And she does her hair the same way I do, which is a very big deal for four-year-old girls who are getting their hair done in the morning to go out to school and, like, battling with their pigtails or their afros or whatever it might be. Very simple, simple things like that are so important for, for young children to be able to see on screen. So that's, that was an eye-opener for us. Um, and it means that I work in development, so just, you know, yeah. That, that is myself. really exciting. Mm. Um, it's the power of the visual. Mm. Um, what you had been saying earlier, it starts, everything starts with script. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I understand that cliff. I'm kind of at the bottom of it and climbing my way back up. But it's, it's part of the cyclical thing of being an actor. Um, that there are times that, but I love that uh, if you can, if you can, if you can see it, be it, you know, um, and that to me, because I, I, when I grew up, it, the role models watching movies were, you know, Barbara Stanwyck and Betty Davis, and really strong, powerful, fantastic women, you know, um, and then it all kind of just went, do you know, then suddenly it was like. The 70s were such exploitation movies, you know. Some movies were amazing, but in terms of female representation, you know, I didn't... It's very important that we see ourselves. And in the media in general, that hypersexualization of young women, of children, I think is extraordinarily damaging um, to your self-esteem because you're looking at these images that are, are unobtainable utterly unobtainable. And then you look at, you know, uh, dramas, films, whatever, and again, it's unobtainable. You, you can't relate to, you know, these perfect people, these perfect-looking people, these, you know, extraordinarily thin people, and you're kind of going, do they eat? You know, but when you're talking about young kids watching this all the way up, you know, it's so important. And yeah. to have a tool like this where you can go along and it's facts, figures, science, it's not emotional, it's not, ooh, the feminists are, you know, up in arms again. It really is about unconscious, because I have unconscious gender bias. And that thing about reading scripts, I used to read scripts and go, they're just jobs, why are they all men? So you'd read something about a police station and it'd be... And again, it would make no difference to change one or two to women. You wouldn't have to change a, a, any dialogue or anything about it other than gender, just to people the office with more women. And actually, it would make for quite interesting characters, not to change the dialogue, just the name, mm -hmm. you know. Sorry, I, I've gone on a little bit too long. That's a little bugbear. Um, it, it was interesting to see that that uh, kind of recurring 17% that, that, that Gina, I see, saw her speak at Kids Screen earlier this year, that she spoke about things like crowd scenes. It, it's, uh, like you said, over 200 movies are all the first ADs doing the same thing. How, how we reach this sort of balanced number, this magic number of 17%, uh, 
you know, visibility of women in crowd scenes. What, what, it, what is it about, you know, women that this should be seen 17% of the time? It's just a, a very unusual kind of thing to think about, uh, especially if you're looking around and obviously it's 50-50 in all our lives. And like for us in animation, our characters might be mad monsters, aliens, bunnies, rabbits, you know, there, there is n absolutely no need for them to be male or female a lot of the time, especially in crowd scenes where you just might have random weird looking characters. Uh, so we, we uh, it's quite a simple choice for us. Um, so it's one that we, we really owe it to ourselves to do and just check ourselves all the time. Um, can I just, because somebody uh, was talked about it uh, over coffee there and I thought and it, it, it was about on screen time and uh, you know why the percentage is, is so low on screen of, of, of women and television is obviously you know it's an it's another golden age of, of, of television at the moment with um with you know we're beyond box sets now with streaming and 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 binge watching and um america's led the way in that although i think britain and ireland you know certainly britain has such a great um culture of uh, um of, of of drama and uh with television has come the power of the writer, the showrunner, uh, which is different to the movies, which has been, you know, the, traditionally either director powered or, or the studio producers. And um, in TV, it's the showrunner. And I've worked with a lot of different showrunners, some of them where as the director, you only get as far as director's cut and you're paid to walk away. Um, and the collection which I've just done has been a hybrid because they wanted specifically a, a, a marriage of the British and American system. So as the director, I was all the way to the end, um, which was quite difficult for the showrunner because he wasn't used to that. So it was a very interesting, all the way kind of, you know, quite political, but, but you know, I mean, it was, it was a, a good relationship, but there were battles yeah. because the showrunner is used to. And one of the things about screen time and my experience of, of working you know why? Why is there so little of of um, of you know say women screen time? Apart from the fact that maybe the the, the you know the they're not cast there, but let's just talk about something where they are cast. Is a showrunner who's the writer traditionally in the I suppose I'm saying on, in the edit suite is where the next the next battleground is and the, where the story is 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 written again and retold and and. Um, kind of nine times out of ten, my experience is that the showrunner... I, I mean, the sort of cutting I'm interested in is emotional cutting, which is about reactions, about the subtext of a story. And so, um, as opposed to watching the person speaking, it's, I want to watch the person listen, because, you know, that's where the, the drama is in, in, in the reaction. And it is extraordinary, the power of the showrunner coming in, they want to see their words in close-up, and it's the kind of classic commissioner's um, note in an edit suite, cut to the close-up, can let me see the person speaking. And it's like, we don't need to see the person speaking. We can hear what's interesting is, because nobody ever says what they mean, and nobody ever, you know, in, 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 in real life. And, you know, so, so a, a, a deeper, more interesting um, a, a dramatic scene is watching. And that a character who has no... Speak, nothing to say in a scene can actually steal a scene. I mean, I've, I've had an example in the Tudors where Henry VIII and um, um, 
uh, which queen? The second queen. Um, Anne Boleyn. <laughs> she was basically on her way out. And I kind of use this scene as an example when I'm doing um, uh, kind of director's classes about how you can take a conventional, boring two-person scene at a kitchen table and make it... Um, and make it interesting, and that they're always find a way of bringing a third character into the scene, so you're not left with bish bosh the two people the two people talking. So Henry Henry and um, and Anne are at the table, but I've got a servant in the background, and I just used it as an example of a shoot a close up of that servant when I was doing the scene throughout, and then in the editing, how you can control what's going on in the scene through that servant watching and 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 what's that um, doing. But um, the battles you fight in the edit suite, and that I think is kind of interesting with the on-the-screen time, about who are we looking at and why. And also the star system of an actor who has control and power, who is, why am I on the last page? And I, I, again, I, I just share the story, and I just think it might be interesting in terms of being a practitioner in, and about um, gender equality. Um, I showed a cut to um, our, one of our, well, it's an ensemble piece, but the actor I adored working with, um, and showed him um, a cut of the show. And he, you know, was like many actors, lots of big insecurity. And and, and then he came back to me and said, oh God, Dervley, you know, was there something wrong with my acting? You know, you're in a lot of my scenes, you're not on me when I'm speaking, you're on somebody else. Like, was there something wrong with what I was doing? And, and I was going, I said, no, Richard, it's like, it's emotional cutting. It is being on you for the reaction and not on the on the action. But really, even that his sense of it was how you value somebody's part is how much, you know, they're on screen and, and they're speaking. And, I, and I, I think it interesting about what you said about Bonnie's show. Yeah. You know, um, like who's who's writing that? And that that director was surprised that oh my god we've got a and yet there 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 aren't many women. Who who's writing that show? Well, we have we do have uh pre, I mean as it, with everything in animation other than in production there is there are more men you yeah, know and, yeah. and and that's reflected across the script. Yeah. So we would when we're doing a se uh, full season of a show there'll be fifty two episodes fifty two yeah. eleven minutes. So there will be women and in it. Um, it's just really, it, it's talk, it's action yeah. and lines. Yeah. Yeah. So the characters are there, the female characters are there, but they're maybe in the background or they're yeah, responding, yeah, yeah. but they're not initiating the yeah. action. Um, and it's it's been, you know, really has been, uh, you know, not to, not to big it all up, but honestly it has had a real impact on us, the, the work of the Gina Davis Institute, because we, some of our new shows that we're working on right now would skew that, um, those figures massively you know two of our main shows now are female-led shows and the same director is working on one of them at the moment and he said it, it would be it's the other way around yeah. you know most of her friends are girls most of you know her moms have got a huge role and so it's really just kind of being aware of it and you might sound pedantic in the room you know going back to it and going back to it but I think um until we you know we have to do that we have to check ourselves constantly and go well let's look back here how many why doesn't she have the line give the line to her and once once we keep doing that it'll become normalized and then we don't have to ask the question again mm -hmm. and and that for that particular director and another director that I'm working with right now she, she we've developed two of her shows one's just gone into production they both have female lead characters and it's now clicked to the point where it's just shorthand yeah. between us now. She just will be like, no, female, no, girl, you know. 
Um, and it just becomes normal. It's an added thing to your checklist that is exactly. on top of, you know, what the schedule yeah. is and yeah. what the budget, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's in there and the million things that, you know, must must check. Yeah, it's like what you've been saying. We all, we all have our unconscious bias, yeah. you know, but I spend a lot of my, from the 70s up, you know, just counting, you know. Mm. I'd look at the world stage and all these men discussing what the, how the world was going to move forward. I go, four, five, six. Seven. The, there was always a woman somewhere, um, do you know? Uh, and you'd count, and uh, and I would do that when I'd be watching TV series. I'd go one, two, three, four, five. You know, I, I just it was just automatic. Nobody, I didn't do it for any reason other than for myself. It was like, where are the women? You know, because I grew up in a house full of women, um, and so it it was. Where are they? Where are they? And like again in offices, you go, you know, um, and it's now 2016, and I'm still counting. <laughs> do you know, I don't do it as often because I am very hopeful. I see in the younger generation, in particular, God, those women have balls. They're brilliant. You know what I mean? They, they're they're confident. They're creative. You know, and and that will, and they're writing and they're producing and they're directing and you know, and. It is about writing the stories and it's about us all checking our own bias and, and ticking those boxes and going, why can't that be a female? Why can't, you know, and again, the other side, why can't it be a male? You know, just change the names. You don't have why to change. Black, why can't it be Irish? Exactly. You know, Transgender. I mean, Somebody mentioned all... earlier on, you know, would this program in the future, obviously it's, it's an ongoing thing, but there's so many different areas now in life that we're encountering and uh, so transgender, all kinds of lives that people are living, they want to see reflected. Not just in niche things, but every day, just normal. Normalize everything so that everybody can see themselves reflected back without it being diluted, do you know? Because good storytelling doesn't dilute, it just enhances, you know? And I think that starts with seeing people just not on the screen but seeing women in those roles yeah. and making themselves a little bit more visible mm. um animation as i was saying is has been traditionally male dominated vastly so um and in in our studio we have females in um lead roles you know i lead of de development our head of tv production is a woman our head of technology is a woman head of business legal all women so which is wonderful but for a very long time, the artists themselves were vastly, predominantly male. And um, we only had three very senior female artists. And one of the, I know some of you here are in women in animation. We set that up a few, a couple of years ago now, three years ago now, I think, um, just to look at why, um, why, you know, the girls are going to art school in the same way as they're going to film school in the same numbers, absolutely even, sometimes even more women and men. So why aren't they going into the jobs or why are they dropping out after a short period of time? And for women in animation, a lot of, it, of what we're doing is just social settings, having a drink, having some social events so people could meet women um, see them we do panel events so you can see people in these jobs and know that it's possible especially in ireland where you know we don't have the big hollywood uh, the, the massive studios like dreamworks and pixar and uh here it might be kind of interesting for people to know that some of the shows they're seeing on disney are directed by women here in smithfield you know um and i don't think people realize that so no. it's just trying to 
to show people you, you can do it. And over the last three years, even there's been a huge increase in in, in, uh, in women coming to our events and students coming and asking questions and being more vocal. Um, and just last week, I heard that our studio is now 50-50 male and female, yeah. which is we have to queue for the toilets now. Which is <laughs> other than that, it's, it's great. You know? That's fantastic. Yeah, it's changing. It's definitely changing. I'd like to mention as well uh, what really kind of gave me a huge lift, and I think it gave a lot of people in the arts world a lift, was the Waking the Fem Feminists movement. And mm -hmm. the ants here. Thank you. It was just, it, it, we're part, it's part of a, what's the word, zeitgeist? You know, like it, it, it's a time, it's an idea that whose time has come, and I, I think. Um, it has made people feel, uh, women in particular, uh, this old woman here, sitting here, I just felt, ah, oh, yes, hallelujah, fantastic. You know, because it is just about looking at it and to see that presentation you gave earlier was just, ah, oh, yeah, facts. Yay! You know, because that's what's needed. A real cold, kind of unemotional look at you know, and a really good business sense, mm -hmm. really good. So I, I actually think, you know, we should all donate to the Gina Davis <laughs> Institute <laughs> if we can. can. Is there a page on the website that oh, we can yes. donate? Excellent. Yeah. Because, yeah. I, you know, ad. yeah, yeah. No donation is too large. <laughs> but it would be good, you know, to actually, if we have anybody has any money to spare, to actually just click on that and just mm -hmm. give a little donation. I'm sure every little bit helps because I think it's a really important tool that could be used in every area. Sports, I was thinking about even sports funding and, and, and things that we haven't really been looking at. We've been looking at the arts and stuff, but across the board, it's only fair that if you're a taxpayer, you're 50% of holding up the sky, you should get a, a good stab at, at you know whatever funding is going. It shouldn't be so heavily towards one gender or another. Um, One thing I didn't um, have a chance to tell you, I, I mentioned a little bit. So we're partners with J. Walter Thompson, which is a very large advertising agency, if you heard of it, uh, actually out of the UK. And we've been working with them for almost two years. And uh, did anyone, um, it was BBC, did anyone see, it was called Her Story? Oh, yeah. Okay. Gina was in one of the episodes. That was J. Walter Thompson, actually. And, um, and so they have something called a women's index. And the first time they did it, they were interviewing 4,300 women in nine countries. And we said, well, can you interject some questions about impact? Because it's one thing to say, this is what we're seeing. But then it's something else to say, this is why it matters. And so we put in a few questions around uh, the impact of portrayals <coughs> in TV and film on women. And the data that came out was so rich that they have now expanded the Women's Index to 7,300 women. And they actually did another 1,000 just US, UK, which is going to be coming out. But the point is that uh, across the nine countries, about 61% uh, of the women said that a portrayal in TV and film influenced them to be more <coughs> ambitious, to pursue 
pursue a certain career. And what was very interesting is a quarter said, because of a portrayal they saw in TV and film, they left an abusive relationship. And so, and they literally are just, I was on the phone with them yesterday, finishing up this other mega study and we're figuring out how we're gonna release it and where, who, what, what. So, so that's the, the so what. I mean, there's a, there is a, even though it's social science, there is a correlation to what we see and in pop culture <coughs> and how it affects our behavior. Exactly, yeah, very important. That's why we do it. As an actor, you become so aware of an audience response, and especially if you work in television, because that's in people's homes, it's in their living room. And uh, people who have worked on, say, long-running dramas or soaps, as, as they're called, deal with that every single day, um, the effect of the storyline that they're doing, you know, and it, it has a huge emotional resonance for those watching at times. It's their life they're seeing, or, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's really, really, really important. I was wondering, you have a, um, some clips. Would you like to show them, or...? Lead, uh, unless you got, I think you've probably had enough of Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think that I think the conversations well, kind of. Should we throw it open to? Um, yes, you know, please. Uh, yeah, um, uh, questions. Oh. Yeah. Do you want me to run over with the mic? Here. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really interesting to talk about all of this in terms of Ireland because, I mean, education and having the facts is really what we need because we haven't even started. These discussions are so new to us and it's amazing. And when you have the facts, you know you can debate. But it's not just about the facts. It's also about creatively taking back the gaze because traditionally in cinema, at least, it's been a male gaze. Traditionally, it's, it, the director is male, even if they're telling the female story. So it's seen from the male point of view. And as Jill Soloway said in tr Toronto this year, she gave a brilliant speech where she said, it's wrestling back that gaze, going at it from another point of view. Because, I mean, basically, we, we are 50% of the population. So, I mean, we're not a minority. Women are not a minority. So, and, and, and that goes through from education right up. But in terms of Ireland... Waking the Feminists, to me, has been, you know, that, that juncture where now we're allowed to debate it, even though everybody would have known unconsciously it was there or that, you know, there's, you know, less female directors getting work. I wouldn't say there's less female directors out there. There's less female directors getting work. It's, but what we don't do in the film industry here is get together. What you do in, in theatre and in, for Waking the Feminists is every department gets together. You know, nobody here does that because film is very hierarchical and it's very, very, it's got an army-like structure and it's very hard through the departments so that, you know, sound departments here are, majority of them, it's male. Majority, you know, in, in camera is male. And... I don't, I mean, I know what you're doing and Gina Davis is, is, is fantastic, but I think there's an awful lot of work we can do behind the camera as well 
And I'm wondering if you are going to tie up with, or do you tie up with, with people doing research behind the camera? You obviously do in the States, do you, Madeline? Um, so we do have, we do, we do, and I did present the research of what's happening behind the scenes. So we always track that, if that was the question. Yeah, we always track the percentages of uh, writers, producers, directors. And when you, in the United States, we push out maybe about 500 films a year. And going back to what you were saying about the new golden age of television, I can't even think about how many. When you think about pilots and and all the buyers now, I mean, it could be three times more the output in TV. So TV does much better in the numbers in terms of behind the camera. It's much higher. And of course it's going to change with every season. Uh, where, whereas in film, you've never, ever, ever had double digits when it comes to female directors, ever, um, ever. So, you know, in TV, you have a different director almost for every episode. So there's a lot more opportunity in TV than film. And there's a huge amount of my experience. I mean, a lot of my work is out of Britain, but um, I mean, it's predominantly female at executive level. And, you know, HODs. Yes, you're right about camera department. I mean, I think I've, I've, um, I think I've just done one show, maybe two, one show with a female DOP, and uh, but you know you look for those people, but in the end you give the job to the best person. And but there obviously needs to, you know, you need to increase the number of of, of people out there. I mean, I've just worked with um, the production designer on on the collection, um, a kind of brilliant uh, woman, and. You know, her team was was predominantly was predominantly female. But in television, I think it is. Yeah, I, I, my experience in TV drama is it's you don't even think about it so often that you have to think about it sometimes at more specific levels. But like, I really found the difference between being in London and Wales huge. Yeah. You know, and what that and I and I think my experience of you know being uh, you know in in Dublin. I mean, I find. I mean, apart from the obvious camera department, although there is, I haven't worked with the DOP in this country yet who hasn't got women in their in their department. But editors, I mean, women editors, it's an incredible wealth of um, of uh, female editors here and 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 directors. And it is it is definitely very different in um, different in in the movies. And in terms of networking, there's forums I think outside to join women in film and television. Um, which is a brilliant networking for all, not just you know in front of camera, but for all aspects of of. Uh, I'll I'll come back to you and I'll just go here. Thank you. Sorry, I have a bit of a cold, so I do apologise. Um, I think it's easy often to point the finger and criticise the things that are going wrong, and perhaps they're more evident. But it's just a recent example that I was really impressed by. I don't know if anybody has been watching, and television is an easier example and an easier industry to penetrate, but has anybody been watching Queen Sugar on the Oprah Winfrey Network? It's directed... Um, by Ava DuVernay and they collaborated on the project but every episode is directed by a woman they have also endeavoured to have a, what they called a hashtag inclusive crew so their crew is entirely diverse from various different elements and backgrounds and skin colour and race and it has really impacted the depth of the story and I think the um, 
the, the brilliance of the material that has been on screen. Another thing that I was just going to comment on, from the Bath Film Festival, they developed a, a methodology called the F-rating, and it's how they um, examine films, and I think it's a really worthy tool to kind of implement and introduce in anything that I've been watching. Um, so they judge it based on having a female writer, having a female director, and having women having an important conversation on screen. So it's a direct involvement of the Bechtel test. And I know there was comments brought up as regards to including various different stories, particularly transgender, and I think that's really important. But also, if we could keep in mind disability, for so often people with disabilities have been spoken for by their carers, by family members and I stand at the height of three foot five inches tall and whilst there has been a revolution with people like Peter Dinklage and Warwick Davis, my question is where are the little women? They don't exist. Well just one thing on that, Um, so in the United States um, people with disabilities are the largest minority actually. Um, and every event that we do, every panel that we do, every everything that we do, there's always someone um, who is either a subject matter, matter expert or an actor or a writer or producer. We always make sure <clears throat> when we look at, um, and that's a whole other subject, is who's on a panel, and we always make sure disabilities is baked into it all the time, no matter what we do. Um, oh yes. Um, I just wanted to know what the breakdown of writers in writers' rooms are, especially for you, Derbla, because obviously it's it is great that there's a lot of the the story needs to come from the owned experience, and if we don't have more women in those writers' rooms and actually show running them, because sometimes they can be in the writers' room and then it's. <laughs> to one side, um, or scripting something that has, has been already set up and a storyline that has already been created, we aren't going to have balance on screen. So I, I want to know what you find the makeup of the story rooms and the showrunners that you've worked with um, and across animation as well. So just two answers to that question, because I think um, you know the camera department and sound department are kind of obvious, you know, and kind of for obvious reasons sometimes as well, even though, of course, I stand corrected. But... but um, but I would certainly say, as a as a director, the where there is an absolute absence, and I actually don't genuinely understand it in the same way. And I have lots of writer friends and have this discussion: um, is there how absent female writers are, and they are definitely absent. I mean, there is a conscious decision again, in you know, I think by commissioners looking for for um, writers, you know, female writers, because there's so much pressure. And I mean, I've just come back from the, the States in LA last month and everybody's talking about gender, uh, gender imbalance. And, um, you know, it was like, they were so almost bizarrely thrilled to see me walk through the door and, you know, go, oh my God, a woman, a female director, you know, that we can, you know. Um, but uh, there, the, the, the absence of, of, female writers is I, I genuinely don't understand it in the same way that I understand sound and 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 them because say I mean I had a company for a while with another woman she was the writer and I was the director and producer and um you know it writing in writers rooms is nine to five but it's not nine to five in the same way in that the imagination is turning all of the time and you know we're sort of getting up and writing in the middle of the night so it you know, while it should have a discipline, it isn't. It isn't. 
the demands on it aren't as disciplined as as, as other departments are. Um, so where where are they? I mean, I know there are people there at ground level, and there are there are the ideas. And I mean, I worked in RT for a while. And my big thing was, you know, why dramas would start and never keep moving, is people have to be allowed to make mistakes. And I think that, and that's in drama because it's so expensive. Again, speaking very much from an Irish perspective, rather, is. Um, you know, all this drama is more expensive to make than anything else. And then, you know, we fuck up all of the time. Like, oh, my God, all my mistakes. You know, you just think I'll never work again. I mean, you know, as an actor, that's why you do a retake. And, and for writers, I just think it is so it is so difficult that exposed on a first on a first outing and then they're either binned or um, or so much work that's done in development with writers that aren't pay like writers in general, male or female, aren't paid in development yeah. in this. I mean, the amount of work that's expected to be done by a writer for nothing, I think, is horrific. It is. Um, it is. And, you know, people have to pay bills. And, and also, I mean, one of the things I adore about my job is... Um, it's a collaboration and the collaborative experience and working with HODs that are brilliant and actors and um, and you know that the story grows and changes all of the time. You have they have to respond to something that's in the script and then you know it has to grow and you know and that's the, the, the beauty of the uh, of the process. But it's like getting those you know getting those scripts, getting reading those scripts that are by women. I mean, I, it doesn't. I mean, the, the, the couple of writers' rooms I've been in. Um, Three of the shows have been a single writer, which is most unusual, and been a been a male. The show that I've just done as a, a three people in the writing room, one male and two females. But he's the he's the he's the and they serve him. And actually, even watching the politics in the room, it's about that as well. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that's. Uh, I wouldn't say the male voice, you know, because, uh, yeah, um, I mean, basically, he's the, the, the key writer, and he would normally write the eight of them, but he has brought in, and it's been interesting watching the difference in, say, the younger female writer, how her power and confidence has grown from season one to season two, and how he hangs on it. I mean, very interesting to, in a way that, you know, she was kind of younger and in training. And I suppose the point being, people, work makes work. Yeah. You know, experience. You have to mess up. You have to. You also you have to, which certainly, I would have, and people would comment that maybe some other directors don't have this. Oh, I don't know. Or what do you? You know, let's let's just do that again. I don't think I, let's let's just try this. As in, not ab you know. Of course, as a director, you have to lead and be clear, but not be absolute. Yeah. You know, there has to be. You know, that you can. You know, as Donna McCann famously said, the theatre is the actor's medium and yeah. screen is the is the is the director's right. medium. Mm -hmm. But it is but it, you know, it is um it is collaborative and I and just basically just you know, work makes work and just you know, the work has to be has to be written in the first place, then has to be, you know, responded to and mm -hmm. written and, and and made and then remade. I think uh, what the difference just having worked in RTE myself as well, that um, there are times when you realize that not enough time is given to writers um, to develop the scripts writers and the stories. The it's like, okay, they don't get the funding in time, and then suddenly they have to start having, say, six episodes done in, I don't know, two months. And really, they're not given enough time. And they have people interfering. Sometimes they have these amazing writers, and then they're interfered with, so their script is neutered. So I think in, in terms of that, for television in Ireland, except for the independent 
production companies if they're able to keep control. We've seen huge successes with, you know, various different dramas because the writer maintained control. Um, and that's really important because there are so superb writers. And that's, in fact, where, in some ways, Waking the Feminists came from was the lack of, you know, we know the women writers are out there. We know that they're really, really talented. They're just not getting the opportunities. And it is about this unconscious bias and that we all have. It's not just a male-female thing. It's just we're so used to seeing so few women out there you know, on the world stage. We, we see them as models, as beauties, as, uh, you know, film stars. But when you really look at the data, you can, it boils down to, ah, okay, you know, it's not necessarily the image we want our daughters, our granddaughters to be soaking in. It's not particularly a healthy image. Um, and can, can I just yeah. say on that, because finance does play a, 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 a huge part is that um, the people who are sometimes making financial decisions, because the money is is big, again speaking from kind of TV and film is there's an element of a sure thing of is there a, what's the form? Do you know um, what the track record is? Can you deliver? And so traditionally because it has been more male dominated the choices are going there instead of kind of just taking a chance because I know somebody took a chance with me and the chance you know paid off and it is about take a chance and um, because everybody can do the job and you know it's just just people do it in different ways and then the job also is about not the job description itself but finding your voice within the job and and because uh, you know any of us can you know, put any directors up, we can all do a version of the story. So it's about your sensibility and having your conf confidence of what your sensibility is and presenting um, presenting that with confidence. I was speaking to somebody the other day and, you know, they were saying, you know, I've gone for this, but, you know, they went for the guy or, you know, I, I went for this job, but they went for the person with more experience. I go for jobs all the time that they pick the person above me. Like, that is life. Life is always there's somebody better, somebody faster, somebody funnier, somebody cheaper, somebody more... Beautiful. Whatever it is, you know, there's always something. To, and I think, I think, just you have to remove that negativity, and and it's just present, and at least go into a room and go. Well, if they choose me, they'll know what they're, they'll know what they're getting. Do you know that you can get your voice or present or have confidence about what your what what your voice is, and that your voice matters. And um, I think that is, you know, because otherwise, then it does become a formulaic, you know, where you know, and I know there's lots of shows that you can't see the directors hand but the director's hand can be seen in so many different ways and obviously subtlety performance but choices that choices that are, are made like, like like you've talked about here and and it's it's a very it's, it's really important it is a director's medium as an actor I would never watch rushes I, I really don't want to watch rushes <laughs> you you know if a scene you know the minute you begin a scene if you're going to reach what you as an actor you you just instinctively know I'm not going to reach where I need to go, you know, but time is precious, so you don't waste, you know, only a few times it was John Gielgud gave this advice about, uh, you know, because um, obviously film, television, theatre was his medium, but when you're doing, and this is when film was very expensive, so you didn't, you couldn't waste time doing take after take after take. So when he would start off something and he knew he wasn't going to reach where he wanted to go himself in the scene, he would deliberately 
fuck up and then curse really badly so that they couldn't use it. And he said, you know, to use that very sparingly. And I don't know any actor who doesn't use that. It's very rare because you're a professional and you want to get it. If You always know sometimes the first take is the best, but the director will be the one to choose. And you have to trust the director. You kind of go, well, you're watching it, do you know? And if the director says that's good or that's fine, then that's great. And they're usually, you know, if you really feel you want to go again, that you could do better, he will ask and say, could we go again, you know? And it all depends on time. It's very expensive. One of the things that interests me, and I'd love your opinion on this, is the Nordic uh, television, which to me is just sublime. I have a sister who lives in Denmark, and so I've visited there quite often, and the gender balance is just taken for granted in every area in life. And I, was, I happened to be over there during elections. Now, I don't understand a word of Danish, but I was watching it on the TV, and it's just oh, millions of women just being elected, you know. <laughs> and it was just, there was just, they were everywhere, you know, and nobody was batting an eyelid and all of that. And there was no, no discussion, because I had to keep getting her to translate. What, what are they saying? Oh, they've just been elected, you know, it's boring. And then Borgen came out, and that just blew me away. It's just, it was phenomenal. I'd be watching it, and I'd forget I didn't speak Danish. I'd want to go and make a cup of tea, and I'd go, oh, no, subtitles, I have to keep watching it. It was superb, but it's taken for granted, and that's basically what we would all like, as, well, I would. Uh, you know, I'd also, I love the thing that you're going to include age in there. <laughs> that's my thing um, but it is it's it's something I would love just that take for granted that you're just going to see loads of women and loads of men everywhere oh yeah uh, we've set up uh, we are with um, with Jenny but I'm just thinking um, so three years ago we set it up and when we started we our first sort of meeting we put out questionnaires um, to everybody who turned up, just what are the topics that you would want discussed the most? And uh, one of the ones that came up uh, most was how do I have children and keep this industry go and, and still keep in the industry as well? Um, and there was a lot of like younger girls who were sort of looking at at how they build up their career and going, how am I? I do want to have kids. You know, some people obviously do, some people don't. But the ones who did, you know, I do want to have kids. But I still want to, and how am I going to, you know, and it, it, it was something that frightened a lot of them, we, we thought. Um, and now the great, I mean, a lot of us in, in the animation industry have, have kids and you just kind of work around things. But it does have an, an impact as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just sort of, an, I just like to get kind of people's thoughts on, on that. And, and obviously... Um, that when people are hire, you know, hiring uh, women, they, I think that comes sometimes comes into depending on the the project, the length of time, whatever. But you know, it is a big issue. Yeah. Huge issue. Yeah, it's one of those things. Um, I know that Waking the Feminists, uh, a group of you know uh, writers and and various different practitioners got together because they had the same issue about having to take a back seat um, because they had children. And childcare is so expensive. Um, in Denmark, just to go on again about Denmark, but they have a wonderful model, you know, big companies. Like I've often wondered why the National Theatre doesn't have a creche. 
why the doll doesn't have a crash. They should have, it should be par for the course. In Denmark, big companies have crashes, you know, so nobody has to worry about this issue at all. Um, and that's what we, but if we had more women in politics, um, and it would help fathers as well. There's an awful lot of fathers who are dealing with the same issue. But in general, these are issues that really need to be addressed. And if we did have more women in politics making these decisions, I think it would be addressed a lot quicker, you know. And it's a difficult one, especially being freelance, you know. It's almost impossible, especially in theatre and things where you're working day and night. You know, it's very, very, very difficult. And you ha some women have to bow, bow out completely. Okay. I'm going to hand this over, that question over to you guys. A, yeah, a lot of change really is coming, comes about by having women in positions of power within the studios and within the companies. And you can see the evolution of it. Um, you know, in, in our studio for a very long time, it was very, it's been going for 22 years, but it was set up by two guys who were only 21, 22 at the time. So it was very young. Um, employee base and we got to about uh four years ago and realized so the company was seven 16 17 years old and realized that no woman had ever there'd been no maternity leave ever like no one had had a baby while in employment and so when the the first women started having babies it was like oh my it, you know how, how are we going to deal and it really what we were all watching you know and it was around the, the same time that women in animation started we're all watching and funnily enough life went on yeah. you know they went on maternity leave uh, it's all the more ironic when you're making cartoons for small children um where you know you you'd see a lot of the the guys had children and to see mm -hmm. how it kind of reinvigorated their creativity and their storytelling. So many um, of the parents have come in, you know, people do that whether they have children or not, but really observing kids, especially the, the guy, the, the male artist, um, using their kids as an, for animation reference, you know, all that kind of stuff. It really reinvigorated the studio um, and has just been embraced now. And, and, you know, over time, our senior producers have gone on maternity leave and are coming back, and the world has not fallen t to bits. And, and again, it's just the norm. Having heads of departments that are female, we all know, you know, some people are going to have children, and that's just the way it is. So it's just normalization and also visibility. You know, we were worried about it because we had never seen someone, you know, take maternity, and then they did, and then... That's okay, you know. You've an example, so I just think it, it's really about having having women leading shows, whether that's in production, in, in from, from the animation point of view, whether that's as writing showrunners, as lead writers, as directors, art directors, you know, heads of production, um, knowing that there is a path for you, and knowing that these women have negotiated the same obstacles that you have, uh, or are likely to encounter. And they've got through it, and the world didn't crumble. Um, it's Networking just leading by example. It's really important. Mm. Um, there's women in film and television groups all around the world now. Mm. Um, and it's just a really important because you feel part of something, because it is an isolating industry at times. You're working on separate projects, and then you have this intense burst where you're all working together, and then everybody goes their way. So you make, you know, 
it's it's can be quite a lonely experience so having a networking group where you can just feel i'm part of a community you know even if you're not working because you can't work all the time um it would be boring really if you had to work all the time all the time you need creative industries need you need a little break a little self-reflection it's it's slightly different in animation because you know if you're working in film or even in tv there might be a very small group working in a production office for months years on on end and then there's you know a series of you know two months or where everyone's on set and that's very intense and build all your relationships you know, on those early mornings, whereas in animation, it's like we're on set all day, every day. You know, a production is around 20 months, and you'll have the entire crew working ah, there every yeah, day yeah. together. Your family, um, you become family. Yeah, but it just means that you do. It's it's a little easier to form those communities and have those conversations when you see each other every single day. Um, and it's not all in the hype of of production or filming. Yeah. Um, but but you know, going back to your question, I think um, being able to just have an organization that that can have these conversations and normalize these conversations is really important. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering, yes, I'm just going to ask her. Hi, Margaret Ward again. Um, you mentioned, um, Dervla, that there's a huge lack of women writers in Ireland, and I wonder what can be done to address that. Well, um, I guess kind of there there are two things of us um you know the irish I, what i mean is by writers who are their work has been made and getting paid work because i think there are lots of female writers um so i think it's about conscious uh conscious decisions to commission a writer i mean it all has to be about story anyhow so it is kind of it's a bit cart before the horse by you're a woman, so therefore, what do you want? To write? I mean, relate, so much writing and so much development comes out of relationships, relationships between producers and writers, directors and writers. And um, um, and I know, for example, just on the subject of, you know, women in these roles, when I had my company with this um, other, um, with this woman who is a writer, I mean, the reality is, in our experience, I'm sorry to say, but children got in the way in the sense that she could not... And I know in the job... And when I say that, that comes like children are a problem. That's not the... But the reality is um, she needed to take time out to... to, to they made a choice, she and her, um, her partner, about having children. And she was not able to commit in the same way. Now, really interesting ideas, but she couldn't, you know, do the meetings, do the work. I was kind of presenting the work. And I definitely know, you know, with, you know regret with a small or but I definitely couldn't do I couldn't work the way I do if I had children I would need a really obviously support a partner and all of that but beyond that what sort of mother do I want to be is also you know because I've kind of obviously gone through all of these you know soul searching questions at, at a time when you know the you know I had to kind of make some final choices and because so much of my work is abroad or I choose to live in Ireland and I work abroad is do I want to be away from home mother? You know, and, and, and so it's very complex, I think, the whole how you manage having children and, and your career. And I think it's one of the reasons why in TV, particularly in Britain, there are so many women in management and having worked in the BBC and in RTE because the hours and the management structure works for women who have children because you can come in at nine and you can go home at six and most or like RT has a crash or so I'm just taking very conventional um, 
kind of um, um, models there. And um, I think it's one of the ways where, you know, mothers, working mothers have actually found, you know, a, a, a voice and a power within within the industry by, by combining the two. But certainly, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. There's obviously, you know, there are lots of female directors, but in terms of working female directors that I know in, in Britain and there, I, I, I think I know one who has children. I'm sure there are lots, but anyhow, how they manage it. I'm just trying to think. I don't. I know a few, but none of them have children. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a sacrifice. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Sorry, just, just following up on that. So that's addressing the problem, but the solution. So, if, for example, we have seen some solutions in this area around blind commissioning rounds. Mm-hmm for everything so that it is always about the story and it's not about the person's name. We've seen funds being set up for female writers. A very significant one, I think, recently um, was set up. Um, and also, you know, insisting that there are more women in the writer's room, just insisting mm-hmm. on it as a part of that's, the industry practice. So certainly what in, in our room, you know, again, it's coming back to simple choices, but for in animation, there are predominantly there certainly more male writers uh, working than female. Um, but over time, especially if you have uh, once creator voices get heard and you have creators show running their own shows uh, and they're female and they will hire more females and they, those people get work and that work is proven and it gets on screen and that perpetuates the system. But for me, working in development, I just make, I, I, again, you know, that unconscious bias is there, so I check myself and look at the writer's room and you count, and if there's eight people in the room, it's four and four. You're, you're, you know, you, you've just got to make it happen yourself. Um, and it doesn't always happen, you know, especially as a creator, let's show you love the show, you, you obviously will go for the, the right writer, but we, people in who are commissioning or developing um, and producing have to make that choice. They they just have to um, force themselves to look at things a little differently and go that take that extra box, um, and then it'll it, it takes you see it rolling. You can see it so quickly. I can even see it in our work over the last five years. Writers who get get their first break on a show, build their confidence. They're on screen. Um, ultimately, if the episode works. The producers and commissioners aren't going to ask questions next time. They've done it once; they can do it again. So, um, yeah, that's what I do. I just make myself <laughs> make myself. I think we've time for three more quick questions. Okay. Well, I was, I was just going to say it's interesting when you talk about childcare because if it's you know, we naturally all talk about female directors, you know, and if they have kids and how difficult it is, and nobody ever asks that question about a male director. So it's 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 As inbuilt. In how difficult it is for them. Yeah, yeah, you know, or or let's say you're hiring a director. Nobody nobody would not hire the director because he had kids. Whereas you know, a producer might think in their mind, oh shit, she has you know two young kids. God, what would happen if one of them got sick? Or I don't know, know if that's you know. I don't know if that's 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 not the point I was making any anyhow. But and I don't know because I certainly never sit in a in a seat and think, oh god, she has kids. That's going that influences my. My, my my choice of, of of that person, and you do have to sometimes, you know, go. You know, you can't have the meeting when you want. It can't happen once because that person has childcare, and you go, well, that's you know, the world no, has to continue in that. Certainly. But my my issue was about looking at myself, my own choice about how I want. No, to I understand sort of that. I understand that. But I'm I'm just saying that the conversation 
men would never, we would, they would never be asked that question or it would never come up. So it's like, you know... Exactly. Yeah, no, no, no. I've, I've, I'm, but I'm just saying that nobody seems to ask male directors about that, you know, or they never even talk about it, how tough it, you know. So, it, no, it's a brilliant dialogue to have, but I mean, I certainly have had experiences where I, I you know, haven't got a job because I had kids. But, you know, look, ev everybody has different systems. But what I'm saying, what I'm also saying is that, you know, I, I, women in film and television existed here 20 years ago, and, you know, we were all talking about the same things that we're talking about now. You know, so so there is an awful lot of work to be done. And, you know, the danger is, you know, when you talk about, let's say, Sheryl Sandberg saying lean into a system, I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with what my work. I don't need to lean into a male patriarchal system. I would like to, you know, say things. And I feel I have stories that are important. So there is a danger because sometimes women, become, even if they are in high positions, they can become chief of staff to a male patriarchal system. So we do have to continue yeah. talking. Yeah. Sorry. Hi, Sarah Kieran, and I'm on the board of Women in Film and Television. And I think one of the things that we are looking for is for all of the commissioners and the broadcasters and the film board to engage in um, bias, un unconscious bias training. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's really important. And if it's one thing that we all take from today, it is the one thing that they can do that can make a difference. And it's not a big thing to do. Absolutely. I think, you know, the research and the data that you showed earlier should be required viewing for every commissioner and broadcaster. It's certainly in Ireland, very simple thing. It's a small industry. Um, put that in front of them and see if it influences them. It certainly influenced us in, in the creative choices we made. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a simple step and it can be really impactful. Um, I'm just interested in some advice from you, Dervla. I work with a lot of young women in Maynooth University in the Department of Media Studies where actually they're taught exclusively by women in production and that's a very conscious bias uh, to do that with them. But I'm really interested when they go as new entrants into the media industries because there's 30% female employees in Irish media industries, only 12% of decision makers in Irish media are female. What advice do you give to them? Keep doing it, keep fighting, keep presenting your voice. I mean, the work, I believe, speaks ultimately for itself. You know, the work speaks, you know, be it your writing, be it your directing, be it your music playing work. You never don't employ somebody who you don't love their, their work because the person at the top wants to look fabulous and they can only look fabulous when they've got kind of, I mean, even as a director making that choice. So that's one thing. The second thing is it involves a huge amount of politics, people politics, to survive. You know, half it is talent and half it is politics. How to win, picking your battles. What are the ones I can let that go because that isn't going to, but this I'm going to fight for. And I have been very many times in that situation, you know, in an edit suite with Richard Curtis, who's just going, he wants this, and I'm going, okay, Richard, how are we going to move forward? Because I disagree with you. I think it should be this. I said, but you're the executive producer and I'm the director, so you get to trump me. 
So, but like, how are we going to move forward in this? And he was like, uh, uh, you know. So, yeah, I, I mean, the politics of, of how you deal with people and whether that's confrontational or whether that's diplomatic, I mean, it's painful, but it is like surviving in your family. You know, and that's a kind of, I, I see the work we do, the stories we tell are all about dysfunction. They're all about, we all want to be loved, we all want to love. You want to kill your sister or your mother has fucked it all up for you or whatever, whatever it is. And that is what the working organism is, is, is like. It's a constant negotiation. So I think politics and how you are with people, your sensibility. Actually, just being nice sometimes mm. as well. Just simple things of being grateful to, to people, that the driver is as important a person on the, on the set. I mean, it's some very, very simple things. And, I mean, I would say my greatest role model has been my mother. You know, and, and then because from a family of four, two boys and two girls, we were brought up in... The boys had to cook. We had to leave the bins out. I had to collect the milk. You know, it was. But I also grew up in a small town where... Growing up, and you know, brought up by the nuns, where we weren't taught to question in, in the same way. But my mother was married at 25, so I was going, how am I going to work? How am I going to get everything done? And, you know, do what I want to do, travel, do the work I want to do, and then, you know, have it all done by 25, because that's when I get married and have children. You know, my life was obviously, there was a lot not going on in my head at that, <laughs> at that time about how not in touch I was. But that is, you know, unconscious you know, prejudice and, and bias. And I mean, every day I am grateful or every job and choose work specifically to challenge me or, you know, and also bring, I mean, I think I work a lot abroad. My greatest, I find I am so advantaged by being Irish, by being a woman and also by being gay. I mean, I really feel those as, as um, things that I don't have to compromise in the workplace. And, you know, obviously it's been a long journey and I still have a huge amount, a huge amount to go. So, I mean, I suppose, what can you do? It's about also, it's about being as well as, as and how you are to be with. It's like being with, you know, as I say, family or your lover. It is, everybody wants to be with somebody who, you know, it works. So you can find a voice, you can make music. And, and that's why I think it's, 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 it's half politics and half, half time. I have a, a different answer for that because you're, you're, to build on what you're saying, because you're talking about kids who haven't even gotten out of the gate. So um, there are massive studies in the United States out of Harvard and Stanford and all those schools. Um, uh, one from Stanford is act confident, and you will come across confident even if you don't believe it. So how you sit in a chair, you know, how you... Don't fiddle with your hair. So they, it's really fake it and you will be it. Um, and they have proof on that. Secondly is, um, I can only speak to the United States, uh, women tend to check off every single box when it comes to the job requirements, and men don't. Um, third, specific to the entertainment industry, is uh, women um, have to learn how to pitch better. Um, so for students, I really think it's about confidence. It's about a numbers game, going for every job, whether they have experience or not, and it's being very confident in how they pitch themselves. And that's different. It's one thing to learn the art of the craft. It's a very different thing on how you present yourself. And I don't think the film schools or that have that part of it. It's, it's, the, it's the psychological game where I think for guys, 
it'll be like, oh, I don't have any experience. I'll just go for that. Yeah. And so, but, but, and, and, and this gets back to what we were talking at the coffee break. This word strong female role model. I hate the word strong and I hate the word role model. It is the absolute worst thing to put next to the word woman. Because now you've taken the experience of this and now you've made it this. And so, and that's a stereotype that's perpetuated. Um, and it's horrible. So, so, so it's the psychological game that I think students, in particular women, coming out of, I don't care whether it's B school or film school, it's that psychological game that they need to know because you just have to be confident. Um, it's like, what is it, go big or go home kind of thing? Mm-hmm. It's kind of that, especially coming out of school. Yeah, I, I would definitely echo that. And I've heard a lot of, uh, I didn't go to art school myself, um, but a lot of people saying that, um, students saying that ticking every box is something that uh, female students, I'm generalizing here, obviously, um, would really push themselves, work really hard, fulfill every single module, you know, put in every essay and art project, um, whereas some of the male students will go, "Mm, yeah, I can learn more from YouTube, and will go and, you know, start doing tutorials and teaching themselves things outside the course, feeding that into their, you know, their final year of film or, and whereas the, the, the female students are, are just trying to, you know, get those A's. Um, and they are not, the, you know, they might have fantastic exam results, but the guys will have knowledge of, you know, brand new cutting edge technology that is available out there. It's on YouTube. It's available to everyone. And they're looking. Ultimately, that's going to get them the job before the girls uh, who've, who've just kind of done very well and did everything they were supposed to do um, and so it's a hard thing to because you know you're asking people to do everything you want to do well you want to do, you know do the exams but also do more do more um, but a lot of the male students will they won't they mightn't fulfill all those modules they'll do something else it's having the confidence to go this is going to be this is going to benefit me more and then really about pitching yourself, and this goes to not just pitching yourself as a director or a creator or an artist, but pitching your ideas and your projects and not uh, starting everything, well, it's just a little idea I had or it's just, 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 just really getting out there and uh, pitching your ideas with confidence and um, also seeking advice, um, going out there and asking other women, can you help me uh, without pitch, without how to develop a project, without how to, you know, uh, make my animation better or whatever it might be. Seeking advice is something that even myself, even it, we found it in women and in animation, there's easily as many men and young men, students come to those events easily as, as women, sometimes even more. And it'll be the male students who will be up there seeking advice um, and the women standing back and that has changed again even over the last year and a half. It's amazing how quickly things can change if if you're just given the forum to do it. Um, but that will be my advice. Brilliant. Brilliant. There's, uh, we're, we're just about to wrap up now, and I want... Um, oh, yeah.
Good point. I'd also like to mention, Margaret Ward, you have that um, Women on Air, is it? Women on Air, it's a wonderful... Uh, it it kind of tracks how all the different... You, we've all listened to radio and all the all-male panels. The all, you know, it, it was so ludicrous one year in the UK that they had two men who were asked to... Well, imagine you're a woman with breast cancer because they didn't have a female uh, on the panel. So um, it's a wonderful one where they actually... Um, maybe you'd like to say something before we wrap up, because I think for people who are interested in networking and interested in getting ideas out there... Um Thanks very much. I'll be very brief. Hi. I think I already know some of the people in the room. Um, yeah, Women on Air was founded in 2010, um, and there were none really of these organizations in 2010, with the exception of Women in Technology and Science, which has been going for, I think, 25 years, and they deserve a big uh, mention. But it was basically designed to address the lack of female visibility on the airwaves. So that's radio and television, and of course, you know, print does come into it as well, but mainly radio and television. Um, it ha has a, kind of a five-tiered uh, strategy, which is to have a list of women who are available to producers and researchers to go on the airwaves. Uh, you add yourself to that list on the website, so feel free to go on. And I know Dara Doyle, who's here, um, he said that a lot of the list, the invite list from today was built on the names that were on that Women on Air website. So that's number one. The number, num number two thing is to lobby people about this and keep it front and center. And I think uh, one of the most important bits of what we do, and we've done it from the start, is to collect the data. And Anne, you're here. You did some, some work on that as well. Anne's an academic. You have to show the numbers, right? So um, as a financial journalist, um, I was always like, show me the facts. And a big part of what we do is busting myths. So put it in front of people and bust it by showing them the reality of what they say. They still might not listen. A lot of them aren't listening, but you kind of just keep saying it over and over again, and eventually, you know, it gets through. Networking is a really big part of that, having women from across all of these interests. So it's for female experts. So everybody in this room is pretty much a female expert in what they do. So um, you can go and you can learn from people. And there's also a fantastic mentor or training program. And uh, now I haven't been part of the organization for two years, but they're running the, the mentor program. I think they just ran one recently. Leanne, you're on that. So keep your eye on the website and participate and get involved. And remember, it's across every industry. And there are about 35 to 40 professional women's organizations operating in Ireland now, but in their own little sphere, I would say all come together and talk to each other. You'll have more power collectively. Hey. Thank you, Margaret. I'm going to hand you over to Rachel now. Um, and thank you. Yeah, so... I just wanted to say um, a huge thank you to our amazing panel. So thank you all so much. So to Jer Ryan, our moderator, Dervla Walsh, Madeline Donano and Jenny Stacey. I think a couple of things have become really clear from a really exciting morning which has gone on into the afternoon is that there's a huge amount to say and I would echo what Margaret was saying is that Andley and you know to, to speak across the different spheres and across the different areas of expertise and on that note we're going to have um, a networking session outside outside the doors we'll have to leave the comforting red zone um, <laughs> and to continue the conversation and uh, please do if you're interested in joining up with women in film and television we have membership forums outside um you can you can follow us we're now trending on twitter so thanks everyone who's been tweeting online 
Um, and, and let's keep the conversation going and keep the momentum going. Thank you. Thank you.